Whether you're in Lake Cities or Argyle or in our Denton campus or watching online, my name is Toby. If I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm really excited to be here this weekend and to kick off chapter two, really, of a year-long study that we've been involved in called 40. Now, if you're new, if you've come this summer and you haven't been a part of this 40 series, let me catch you up really quick. God made a promise to a man named Abram that we most most of us know his name's changed later to Abraham, and he said this, Hey, I know you're like over 100 and your wife is over 90, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you kids, and I'm going to give you so many kids that they're going to become as, dis, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And I'm going to bless the whole world through your family. And because Abram believed God, the Bible says it credited Tim's righteousness, that it was his belief that activated God's promise in his life, but it was many years after that promise before it began to become fulfilled. God's people went into captivity in the nation of Egypt. They faced horrendous conditions, but God begins to make his promise come true. And in this story of the Egyptian captivity of God's people, descendants of Abraham, kids of the promise, we begin to learn some important things. We learn that it's Believing that can save you, but come on somebody, following is what sets you free, right? And now as we come to chapter 2 of this story, this really becomes poignant because as, as the Israelites come out of captivity and begin to wander in the wilderness toward the promised land, it's as if God has shown us this. the first part is about you being set free and the next part is about me teaching you how to live free. Do you understand it is possible to be adopted by God as a son or a daughter and still live like an orphan? You get this, right? It's possible to be forgiven completely and live in guilt and shame and condemnation. It's possible for you to not experience what God has promised you. And that's really what this next few months is all about. It's about learning how to live in what we've already been given in Jesus. You know, the disciples, in the days of Jesus, these 12 that gathered around him watched him interact with people all the time. And they come to him one day and they say, we want you to teach us something. And they didn't ask him to teach them how to preach, although he was the best preacher to ever walk on the planet. He didn't ask them, they didn't ask him, teach us how to do miracles. Even though he made lame people walk, deaf people hear, blind people see. He raised people from the dead. Oh, they asked him this, teach us to pray. You remember this? Let's pray that prayer together. Everybody stand with me. We're going to pray. Now, some of you that have gone to church a long time, it's going to freak you out. Don't close your eyes. Jesus still hears you if your eyes are open. Because <laughs> we're going to pray together and it's going to come up on the screen, okay? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, it is hard to imagine daily bread when we're trying to figure out what to eat, not if we're going to get to eat. It's hard to envision a life of such abject poverty. 
that if you don't move, we don't survive. And I'm grateful that of all the metaphors you give us of yourself, you say that you are living bread. Because we live in a world of stuff and we're still hungry. So teach us how to live what you've promised us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a seat. One of the questions I get when I go away in the summers for a few weeks of rest and a couple of weeks of study preparing for the year that is to come is what did you do? And they raise the answer this summer is I spent most of my time with my grandkids. Uh, there's nothing better than having grandkids. I'm just telling you, you can't oversell this thing. And one of the things that I think you love about being a grandparent is you're not, you've lived enough life that you get to see things with a new perspective. You know? I mean, I notice things in the lives of my grandchildren that I never noticed in the lives of my kids. I just hadn't lived enough life to pick up on it yet. I have a grandson that I talk about a lot. His name is Gideon. He's two and a half and looks like a middle linebacker and he spent a few days with us this summer. We called it happy camp. I'm calling it next year kind of happy camp some of the time. <laughs> and about the third day that Gideon was here, Micah was running out of ideas of how to keep him kind of occupied. She said, let's go to Tractor Supply because I think they got baby chicks. Now, we didn't know baby chicks were out of season. I didn't know there was a season for baby chicks. But we went in, and I ran to the back, and I came and said, Micah, we got a problem. There ain't no chickens. There ain't no baby chicks. What are we going to do? And as, we, I was, as they were walking in the door, I looked over to my right, and there were, they were selling these horses. It's like, I don't know, it's like $14.99 for a little old plastic horse. And so I bought this horse to get Gideon's mind off the fact that there weren't any chicks. And he was really happy when I pulled this horse out of the box. And he began to talk like a horse and do what little two-and-a-half-year-olds do with horses. But I made a cardinal error, a grandparent error. I'm a rookie in this deal. Is I handed him the box. Now, what you don't know, but if you look at the screen, on the back of the box, this is one of a set of horses. Okay? Rookie mistake. And all of a sudden, Gideon began to look at me and say, Papa, more horses, more horses. Papa, more horses, more horses, more horses. I said, Micah, take that box away from him. We got back to the house, had the horse. I threw the box up on the table thinking he found something else to play with. He found the box. Honey, more horses. I need more horses. I need more horses. I need more horses. It was the craziest thing. Everybody look at me. He couldn't enjoy the horse he'd been given because he wasn't sure he was going to get more horses in the days that were to come. Now, I need to tell you something. He got that horse because I'm a generous grandfather. My character and my nature is to give good gifts to my grandkids. I love to see them smile. He hadn't trust me. The boy had not earned a horse. He hadn't earned, I mean, he hadn't earned nothing. His performance was subpar for a two-and-a-half-year-old. But because my spirit and my character and my nature is so generous, and because I'm so loving and kind, and because I want him to be happy, I gave him a horse. And his response was, more horses, Papa, more horses, Papa, more horses, Papa. We'll get into a moment about how I responded to 
Gideon's life. But if you understand this concept, then you're going to understand where we find ourselves in the story of the Exodus. We're in Exodus chapter 16. It hasn't been a month since the Israelites have been miraculously delivered by the parting of the Red Sea. God has supernaturally worked in their lives. And now we come and they've begun this journey into the, <coughs> from, the, from captivity in the wilderness into the promised land. They've already been thirsty and they said this water is bitter and God has worked supernaturally again to make the bitter water sweet. And now we come to Exodus 16, listen to this. It says that the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they'd come out of Egypt. Now listen to this. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Their Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. All right, let's start breaking this down. Let's start breaking this down. First, we got in this first part in the desert, the whole community, they did what? They grumbled. Now, this is interesting. This word in the Hebrew language, first time it's introduced in the Old Testament is in Exodus 15. And it's going to be used more in the next two chapters than in the entire Old Testament. This word, they grumbled against the Lord. Now, it's hard in modern-day context to get this. When I say the word grumble, you think about being out in the lobby and talking, you know, complaining about how hot it is. The grumbling is not complaining. In fact, it's not about what they're saying. It's about what, what they're saying is revealing about their hearts. See, out of the wellspring of the heart, the Bible says your mouth is going to speak. And grumbling in the context of this passage is, is showing us a repeated struggle that we're going to see the Israelites have over the next couple of months. We see this word used eight times in this chapter. It's not complaining. It's about them choosing fear over faith. It's, about, it's not about what they're saying. It's about their heart being revealed their lack of trust when they find themselves in a circumstance outside of their control. They said, we'd rather you leave us in slavery because fear is a liar. Fear begins to revise history. Fear causes the Israelites to truly believe that the Egyptians were feeding them for their flourishing when they were feeding them for their enslavement. And God wants to provide for their flourishing in their life. Fear is, grumbling is, more horses, Papa, more horses, Papa, more horses, Papa. Grumbling is believing that a good father doesn't have your best interest in heart. Grumbling is about finding yourselves in moments of need and giving in to a fear that says, God will not meet my need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Grumbling is the language of a slave. 
not the language of a son or a daughter. Side note, it's free. My first week back here, you can get some free stuff. This is why worship, what you just did at the campus you're sitting in, is so important. Please don't come tell me I'm really not into the music. It ain't about music. It's about you declaring the goodness of God. It's about something getting released in the heaven. I don't care if you can sing a lick. I don't care if you sound you know, like me, like a cat with his tail caught in a screen door, or whether you sing like somebody famous that would date me if I said their name. I don't care what comes out of your mouth vocally. I care about the words that you begin to express. Well, look, Toby, I'm not just sure I feel that way. Then you ought to be saying it over and over and over again because it releases something in the heavenlies. The most exciting news I got in my six weeks off, they didn't tell me until two weeks ago, was that this Tuesday night we were going to have a night of worship. All of our campuses together at the Argyle campus. All of our worship leaders. Let me tell you something. I love the fact that our whole family is going to get together. But I believe God releases something supernaturally when God's people together begin to declare things that sometimes it's hard for us to believe is true. I did something this weekend. I, I can't remember the last time I did it. But two weeks ago, I texted one of our leaders here, and every song that we're singing this weekend are songs that I picked. I usually do not select the songs, but I picked them on purpose. Why? Because these are the songs in the moments when I find myself grumbling, where God does something big in my heart. Great are you, Lord. It's your breath in my lungs that gets me by. There's Death cannot hold you. There's nothing that can separate me from your love. You've always been faithful. There wasn't a day that you weren't by my side. When I feel that the least is when I need to declare it the most. Because grumbling, a state of this heart, is not just a bad idea. It's sin that misses the mark and keeps you from becoming the, person, the free person that God created you to be. So let's move on. The Bible says, in response to their grumbling, that the Lord, oh, I've got to remember which side this is on. Verse 4, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Can I just stop there and say this blew me away? That God's response to their grumbling was to pour out his blessing. If anybody tries to tell you, I don't like the Old Testament, God was mean in the Old Testament, no grace in the Old Testament, you just take them here to Exodus 16 and show it to them. His response to their grumbling was provision. I'm going to rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Okay, secondly, we got grumbling, and then he says, I've heard the grumbling Israelites tell them at twilight you'll meet in the morning you'll be filled with bread. They're going to know that you're the Lord my God. Here's the word. I will test them. Now everybody look at me. The longer you go on to church, the harder this is going to be for you because you have a problem. It seems negative to you that God tests you. Most of you have a hard time with God testing you because you, you are... Uh, having a hard time differentiating between God tempting you and God testing you. The Bible clearly teaches that God does not tempt you, but one of the greatest gifts he gives you is that he tests you. Yeah. 
It's in the testing that your faith gets built. It's in the moment that you find yourself or your situation inadequate or insufficient. When you choose to believe God in that moment, that your faith gets built. If there's not lean moments where you're not sure how you're going to get through, you're not sure how the bill is going to get paid, how you're going to accomplish the task before you, if you're a mom or a dad and you never feel inadequate or insufficient, there's no room for God in the equation. And many times God in His mercy and grace will put you in a position where you come to the end of yourselves to give you the opportunity to turn to Him and to have the heart that you've always desired to have. Everybody likes singing oceans. Nobody likes being up to their neck in water. Everybody loves singing about miracles. Nobody wants to be in a position to need one. But sometimes the greatest grace of God is that He tests you. Why? Because another word for testing is discipline, and God disciplines those that He loves. I was talking to a friend of mine just this past week. He's planning a church on the West Coast. And he called because all of us who have planted churches kind of have this same weird, wild look in our eye, you know. And I'm 18 years down from planting a church, and he's calling me, and he's beginning to tell me about all the problems they're having. Now, six weeks away from launch, and we're not sure about our worship play. We're not sure what to do about this and our launch team this, and we're not sure if we're going to meet the budget. And I said, hey, let me stop you for a minute. Are you listening to me? He said, yeah. I said, you're supposed to be scared. He said, what do you mean? I said, let me tell you something. If you had Hillsong coming in leading worship and you had some facility they would let you use for free and you had $200,000 more and you had written down for a budget, why would you need God? God puts you in places where you need him. And sometimes what seems like punishment is his greatest grace and favor in your life. You understand that These instructions were not, could, were not to see if Israel could follow his directions, but if their hearts were inclined to become his covenant people. Are you ready to be promise, people of the promise? The question God always asks is this, will you follow me when my way is different than your way? Testing is always about learning how to trust God. Why? Because the kingdom is about relationships, and the currency of the kingdom is trust. If I, have, if I don't have trust, I can't have relationship. I am not, I, well, no, the grace of these is love. I can't love without trust. I can't fully abandon myself to a God that I don't fully trust. And the testing that we see in Exodus 16, when God says, okay, You grumble, I'm going to provide, but I'm going to test you first. This isn't about following direction. It's about, hey, you've been enslaved where you've wondered where your next meal is coming from. I'm going to give you just enough for the day where you trust me to give it to you tomorrow. Gideon, do you believe that I got enough money in my pocket that bought you one horse that I could buy you every horse on the planet if I saw fit and believed that was best for you. Do you trust me? That's where some of you find yourself right now. 
you find yourself in an inadequate, insufficient debit situation, relationally, emotionally, financially, physically. Look at me. If you don't hear anything else I say this weekend, this is for you. This isn't about what's happening around you. It's about what God's trying to do inside of you. Because a free person is a person that can walk in faith when they haven't received it yet. Because they, beyond a shadow of a doubt, believe that he's a good father who wants to give good gifts to his kids. You've got grumbling, you've got testing. But then I want you to notice the providing here in Exodus chapter 16. The providing. He says, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat eat meat and in the morning you'll be filled with bread. Then I will know, then you will know that I'm the Lord your God. The point of God's provision is that you might know that he's a good father. Now isn't it interesting that Jesus calls himself the bread that you eat that you'll never grow hungry from again. Isn't it interesting that the promise of God is that he will always give you exactly enough for what you need in that moment. I mean, it's crazy to me because you see, you, you'll watch this promise. Watch what happens. <laughs> the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much and some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, look at this. He who had gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little did not have too little. Why? Because God is the God of enough. And if you don't have it yet, there's more inside of you than you, th- you think there is. <laughs> you know, I, those of you who don't know me, I, like moss to a light, I gather people who battle emotional challenges, depression, anxiety. I've been open about my battles in that area. And like moss to a light, they've gathered them to me. And here's the number one thing I hear from people. I just don't know how I'm going to go on if God doesn't take this away, fix this. And I always look at them and say, let me tell you, you're going to keep going. You're going to keep going just like you did yesterday. Because the greatest courage of the human heart is to take one more step when you don't think there's a step left in you. Because God will provide. God will provide. And the fact of the matter is, I get pretty teary because there's a lot of Gideon in me. There's a lot of moments in my life that I waste waiting for God to give me something and missing what he's put in my hand. I, like you, like many of you, man, I suffer from the as soon as disease on a regular basis. So, God, as soon as you come in here, as soon as you come in here, as soon as you move in this area, And I'm reminded of the words of Job, yea, though they slay me, yet will I trust him. That God is a God of provision. And it may not seem like enough, like a lot, but it's always enough. And I love the fact that those who gather a lot, they had just enough. And that those who gathered a little, they had just enough. 
Now, there's some on my team going to kill me because when I go off for a couple of weeks and start working on the next year, I, it starts working. At, they're like, would you quit talking about that? But I'm telling you, I've been reading and rereading the book of Acts over and over again, and I read about them having enough. And I remember Acts 2, the dream of the local church. Where they all gather in one place, and they shared whatever they had with one another. And they came for the, the breaking of bread and a prayer. And nobody had a lot, but everybody had enough. And they enjoyed the favor of God in all the people. And the Lord added their number daily, those who were being saved. Why? Because he was shaping their hearts into people who could say, I may not have, an, I may not have much, but I have enough. And I'll refuse to let go of the blessing of this moment. Because I'm waiting for the other horses to come. Because I think... I think I have a perfect father. And I think I have a father in heaven that's like a grandfather in Denton that just wants the kids he adores to trust him. Because I believe that trust is the currency of the kingdom. And I believe that God is a God who rarely works the way I want him to work, but he always brings provision in the moment I need it most. So I want to, I asked our team if we could, we could finish a little differently this weekend. I thought we'd practice this, uh, this whole concept of provision of being blessed and being a blessing to others. Um, so at all of our campuses, you see some people gathering in the back. It seems a weird way to end a service with what we traditionally call an offering. But can I just share my heart with you about it for a moment? Would that be okay with everybody? Thank you guys and he, you know, over at Lake City who are answering me. Nobody here in Denton said a word. <laughs> so a couple of months ago... Uh, Some, some guys on our team came and said, I think we're gonna, I want to survey the church during the offering time. I just want to ask them a couple of questions about giving and do they give. And if they do give, why? And if they don't give, why they don't? And we got thousands of responses. And I, I, was, uh, I was doing other things. But one, a couple of our leaders were tabulating and reading through those responses. And they came to me and they said, you wouldn't believe how many people have said, man, I'd love to be a giver, but I'm, I don't know if I can make my rent at the end of this month. I'm a single parent. I'm on a limited income. I mean, I want to believe, but help my unbelief here. I just, I don't see it. And I mean, story after story of this. And I was, I was coming back this weekend and I knew it was the end of the month. And So I talked to our team about what, what if this was a weekend that uh, it wasn't just about giving, but it was about receiving. See, I just don't think that you can be a good giver until you learn how to be a good receiver. And uh, so I asked our, our team from all of our campuses, I said, could we take a few thousand dollars and break it down in fives and tens and twenties. Can we put it in the plate 
And so we've done that all over campus. There's money in all these little baskets and buckets that we pass, however we pass them to all of our different places. And I don't talk about this much, but, you know, Mike and I, we, we're regular online givers here. We're percentage givers. We've always been. And we love the fact that you do it online because it keeps us accountable. You know, it's already predetermined it's coming out. But so a lot of times the basket passes. And I, don't, I mean, some people have gone, oh, it just passes by you. Well, yeah, I, I give online. But this week, I know lots of you give online. Lots of you give in the plate every week. But this week, I just brought a little extra, just some cash. And I'm going to put it in the plate because, see, I have enough. I do. I, I mean, I don't have everything on, but I have enough. But see, some of you don't. It's the end of the month, and you're not sure how you're going to pay. Your, you're a single parent. <laughs> some of you just got behind, and it's been that, that snowball deal. You know, you just got, and you just, you think, man, if I could just catch up a little bit, if I could just, like, pay my electric bill, or if I could just pay this down a little bit, maybe I could get on some level ground and start moving forward. Maybe you're out of work. Maybe you're a college student coming back into town and you've been trying to make ends meet. And the, the, I don't know what your deal is, but like you don't have enough. So what I'm going to ask you to do is as the plates come by and those of us who do have enough put it in, I'm asking you, take it out. I want you to take what you need. It won't be enough to solve all your problems because God, again, he's going to give you just enough. Now, look at me. If that's you and already you're kind of getting embarrassed or whatever, number one, I'm going to tell you, nobody's looking at you. And number two, let me tell you this. Don't rob me of the blessing of having enough and be able to share what I got with you. Please don't rob me of that blessing. Because a day is coming. I promise you, a day is coming. You don't know how, you don't know when, you're wandering in the wilderness, but a day is coming that you're going to hit your promised land. And you're going to have the greatest privilege on the planet, I think, to take what you have and to share it with somebody else. And I'm believing by faith that you receiving, taking this today, is going to be the launching in to you becoming the giver that you've always wanted to be. What an unbelievable opportunity it is. To be filled with God's spirit, to be a child of Jesus, and to be able to be the answer to somebody's prayer. To get to be manna for somebody else. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to close with the song for 54 years. It's a song that I have declared when I'm not sure it's been true. That it is sweet to trust in Jesus. And to take him at his word. And to believe that his promises are true. Because Jesus said they were true. So we, can we pray and, and do this together? Let's pray. Father, thank you for being a God of man. I'm sorry that I've wanted sometime for you to give me more. And I don't recognize that you've given me enough. And I'm grateful for the opportunity that we all have this weekend to get blessed and to be a blessing. And I'm grateful that you're not going to solve everybody's problem in every room because if you solved our problems, why would we need you? But we're going to just take this gift as a seed gift, believing that you who have begun a good work in us will carry it on completion. In Jesus' name.
It's sweet to trust in you. It's hard, but it's sweet. Amen and amen.